the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Five minutes after five o'clock, Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs today on News Talk 710-KNUS. Stefan texted me just a bit ago. He's got his left hand, and he's left-handed, mind you, his left hand in a cast because, of course, he had hand surgery on Monday, and he said, send my best to my peeps. Miss the show. And we extend our best. I know you do, too, to Stefan in his recovery. Surgery is never fun, especially when it's something like your hand. You really need that. So do what you need to do, Stefan, and get well, brother. Again, Stefan Tubbs texting in, doing better, but slow and steady wins the race on these kinds of things. Once again, Jimmy in for Stefan. Good to be with you. Tonight, as we continue the conversation and shift gears a bit, 303-696-1971, our telephone number, of course, you can text into the show on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. So in the last couple of weeks, big news was made nationally by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who, of course, is talked about as a likely presidential candidate in 2024. And probably, arguably, the most credible challenger, at least at this point, to former President Donald Trump, who, of course, is running for re-election now, um, or rather to run again for 2024 after having been unsuccessful in his re-election bid in 2020. But Ron DeSantis has really made a name for himself as a warrior in the culture wars and fighting against wokeism in many aspects of society, whether that's the corporate world taking on Disney or it is in academia, in K-12 through schools in particular, but also at the college level. And I want to talk about several of these topics with our next guest on the program, Associate Professor of Communications at Regis University and Director of the Debate Program at Regis, which is my alma mater, Dr. Rob Margison. And before we welcome Rob onto the show, I want to cue up the basics of one story we will be getting into here vis-a-vis Ron DeSantis, which is his decision to tell the college board, which oversees advanced placement classes as well as the SAT test, we don't want your AP African American Studies program, that course, in any Florida schools. Here is Joy Reid on MSNBC criticizing Ron DeSantis and leveling some spurious claims against him. The letter didn't cite which law the course violated, but they clearly meant the subtly titled Stop Woke Act. The law is aimed at eradicating the teaching of history, gender identity, and sexual orientation in favor of curriculum that centers and lionizes people who look like Ron DeSantis. 
Just take a look at what AP courses are deemed educationally valuable in the state of Florida, per the book banning wannabe president. European history, of course, along with courses on the history and language of Italy, where DeSantis' family hails from, Germany, and Japan, which happen to be the Axis countries the U.S. fought during World War II. Now, whether Ron would consider fascist Italy to have been a bad guy in that war, well, that's up for debate. Absolutely absurd. But that's the kind of rhetoric that we have been hearing on the likes of MSNBC against DeSantis on this point. Now, DeSantis has said this violates the law. Specifically, it does, as she alluded to, the Stop Woke Act that was recently passed during his administration. DeSantis proudly signed it into law. Now, why has he told the College Board we are not allowing and his Department of Education in Florida, we're not allowing this course to be taught in Florida schools. Well, here's what DeSantis had to say, I think, earlier this week or late last week on that point. And as you know, uh, in the state of Florida, our education standards not only don't prevent, but they require teaching black history, all the important things that's part of our core curriculum. This was a separate course on top of that for advanced placement credit. And the issue is we have guidelines and standards in Florida uh, we want education, not indoctrination. If you fall on the side of indoctrination, we're going to decline. If it's education, then we will do this course. So when I heard it, we didn't meet the standards. I figured, yeah, they may be doing this It's way more than that. This course on black history, what are one of, what's one of the lessons about? Queer theory. Now, who would say that an important part of black history is queer theory? That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. And so when you look to see they have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that's a political agenda. And so we're on, that's the wrong side of the line for Florida standards. We believe in teaching kids uh, facts and how to think, but we don't believe they should have an agenda imposed on them. When you try to use black history to shoehorn in queer theory, uh, you are clearly trying to use that uh, for political purposes. So Ron DeSantis saying, look, in the law, including the Stop Woke Act, you're required to teach the history of African-Americans, including the development of slavery, the passage to America, enslavement experience, other things. But AP... African-American studies goes well beyond that into the realm of politics and indoctrination. And that college-level class that gets you college credit should not be allowed in schools in Florida, at least as it currently is. Let's dive into this with our guest who's been patiently waiting, again, Associate Professor of Communications and Director of Debate at Regis University, my alma mater, Dr. Rob Margeson. Rob, my friend, welcome back to KNUS. Uh, thank you. you. You caught me mid-stretch there. So. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting loosened up. <laughs> yeah, get loosened up for, yeah, who knows if we'll tussle. We'll see how this goes. I never know exactly where you're going to fall down, although I think I have some idea. So I set things up. I'm going to shut up now. What's your take on this thing? Um, A, a couple of things. One, you know, I, I, I've written extensively on this idea of education as indoctrination. And, um, I think it's a significantly more complex issue than uh, government, Governor DeSantis would have you believe, and we can spend hours talking about that alone. Um, but I, I, one of the things that struck me in his um, press conference, and I, I don't have it word for word, but you know, on this question of queer theory, and, and like who, in their you know right mind, would say that a discussion of queer theory needs to be an AP Black History class? You know, 
why don't we ask the people who include it why it's in there? Like, we, just to maybe there is a reason why they need to delve temporarily into intersectionality and, and black identity. I mean, I, it, it just it boggles my mind that you know when I was reading about DeSantis in this, it's like this class has no educational value. I mean, that's a statement that he made. Again, not a direct quote, but. And it's like who, you know, it's politicians just looking at a class and saying, well, it has this thing in it that is scary, which is queer theory. Um, so therefore, we can just make a blanket statement that it has no educational value and therefore ban it. And to me, that makes no sense at all. I mean, I don't I don't want politicians making those sorts of decisions without at least being able to hear from the people that are responsible for the course as to why the content that they have in that course is necessary for that course. Maybe there's a good reason, hmm. you know, maybe there is, um, but we're not going to ever get to hear that reason, right? We're just going to hear one side, which is it's bad. It's no educational value. Therefore, well, it should not. Exist. One of the problems, though, Rob, is that they are not disclosing what the framework is for this course, the bases for their components, et cetera, at the College Board. They have been asked multiple instances, I think including by the governor's office, to provide this material and been denied, although a uh, Stanley Kurtz at the National Review did manage to get his hands on the copy and breaks down a lot of the different components that it includes. And he suggests that what they are doing is really rooting this class in socialist ideology without having alternative views presented. And one of his recommendations saying, this class, you know, you can still offer a class like this in his view, in in Stanley Kurtz's view, but he says you need to provide additional viewpoints on the different material that you are presenting. And if, in fact, it is, and he lays it out very well in this particular piece that I read, uh, if it is really rooted in a particular ideological lens and you're not providing additional, for example, black voices in the class that have different viewpoints on some of these issues, then doesn't that, especially for high school students, get at a point where it is, could be indoctrination over let's have an actual discussion about these issues because it's not just AP African-American history. It's AP African-American studies and talking a lot about philosophical underpinnings and ideas, but from, it seems, a very narrow lens, at least to the extent anybody's able to see what they're offering in the class at this point. if, If those are the philosophical underpinnings of that area of study, then those are the philosophical underpinnings of that area of study. I mean, to say we have to force some other ideological perspective into a class where that ideological perspective doesn't function in in that field. I mean, I've had this debate a thousand times. Um, you know, if we're going to say we have to show both sides, then I'm, I'm assuming we're going to argue that the AP American History class should also uh, address socialism as a le- le- legitimate alternative to what's being taught in that class. Is that, is that the argument that you're willing to make that? Every class has to show both sides and treat both No, I don't think so, because you're talking about U.S. history. Socialism isn't an underpinning ideology of US, uh, of the American system or American history. Sure, it plays a role in terms of debates and discussions. Um, and, and, you know, I have I have no problem myself with including a, a piece of socialism in there. But I think that that goes away from what U.S. history is about. But on this point of African-American studies as presented 
in this class. I think what you're arguing is fair for college level. Like this particular class should absolutely be available at the college level in college. I know that we are talking AP, it's college level classes, but when you're getting into high school level as far as offerings and so forth, I do think that there ought to be more discernment used in what kinds of courses that stray from, say, U.S. history or European history or, say, some of the cultural and language studies that you can get from Spanish or from uh, Japanese and, and so forth. When you're trending away from those things, I think that there is a legitimate case to be made for at least looking into and wanting more ideas expressed in those in in a studies class like this but in high school. Ideas, but a you're right. It's an AP class. It's a it's a college class being taught at the high school level. What you're telling me is that these kids shouldn't hear this now, but in three months when they go off to college, it's different. I'm not sure what happens over that three months. Um, but again, my argument is pretty simple. If if those other ideas that you're talking about introducing are not part of the the scholarship in this particular subdiscipline, I don't know how you force them in. It's like you know, I teach ethics, and I teach ethics from a particular perspective. Of course, um, and it's a perspective that you know is uh, rooted in the study of ethics. And to, for someone to come in and say, you know, this, this your ethics class is a little too leftist, which it is. Um, you need to you need to introduce conservative ethicists into your class. It's like there there aren't a whole lot in my discipline that are respected and studied. And, and so, how do I force something into a discipline and a discussion? Is, you know, say, well, this class is socialist, but we have to talk about capitalism too. Hmm. Like, but they we we don't. <laughs> the people who study this don't. So, do we force it in and say, you know, you're going you're going to just have to make it fit. Even if it isn't relevant to the course. Well, so so I would suggest, uh, Dr. Rob Margeson, our guest, Regis University professor, uh, when we are taught two things. Number one, at, in your class, no, I don't think you should be forced to include certain materials if, if the, the field of study doesn't apply as much. However, from what live from the information that we can glean, and again, a lot of this I'm going off of Stanley Kurtz's evaluation uh, since he had received the framework and was citing specific examples. He offers other instances that seem like they absolutely would fit into uh, other um, ideas, other uh, writers who would fit into this discussion in high school level uh, or in these high school classes. But here's the thing for me and where I think there actually is legitimacy to DeSantis's point. Now, I'm not entirely sold on it insofar as I think this is something that may be uh, one of those things where you leave it up to the students at that level who feel like, okay, I want to take this AP level course and this is what I want to take. I'm open to that. But what I think at least as I've been reading more on this, at first I was like, wait a second, okay, aren't you, Ron DeSantis, playing political games here in the same way that you're looking at with the teachers and with the materials in the classroom and the curriculum and that you want to have a particular viewpoint presented? But the more I was reading and the more I was considering this, I do think at high school level when, yes, you have college-level classes, but college-level classes that fit in with the kinds of things that you are learning, like AP U.S. history. You're going to have U.S. history class. College-level class makes sense. When you're looking at mathematics, when you're looking at other fields, you absolutely then science and so forth, it makes 
absolute sense. You've got things that are in the curriculum for K through 12. And so you can amplify that with college level coursework that then makes it possible. Like I graduated in three years from Regis because I came in with a lot of AP credits. I mean, that makes it possible for college to be more affordable, et cetera. But when you are getting into the realm of things that go beyond that from the curriculum and the standards, you're also, in the case of Florida, getting into something that actually is, we can debate or discuss the Stop Woke Act, but it is in violation of that law, which does require still African-American history taught, et cetera. Um, I, I do think that there's at least room for that kind of a discussion, especially when the college board is trying to hide the course material from states while asking states to allow this into the classroom go ahead i'm sorry no no um i mean a couple things first you know we can't and we've talked about coddling kids with you and i on, on on the radio numerous times um you know to hide this sort of stuff from kids because they're supposedly kids even though three months later they're technically college students i mean, I mean why why hide like prepare them like we're going to surprise them in college. You're going to be, you know, we're not going to let you have discussions about critical race theory. We're not going to let you have discussions about queer theory. We're not going to have let you have discussions about the prison industrial complex. Um, but when you get to college, you better be prepared to have those conversations. I mean, for me, if a student wants to opt in to an AP elective, which is what this is, not a required course for anyone, um, and they want to be taught the way that they're going to be taught by their radical leftist college professors like myself, um, then I say provide them that opportunity and let the parents decide. If they're not comfortable with the content of a course, then they can tell their son or daughter, that's a course that I don't want you to take. And if they're a good kid, um, they won't, right? Um, but I say having a class where students are introduced to some of the theories that apparently mm -hmm. are illegal, crazy, um, having a course where students can opt in to a, a college-level course uh, from a college-level perspective that's going to introduce some complex and controversial topics. Um, I think that better prepares those students to go on to college. Mm -hmm. And I'll just repeat myself here. If you don't want your kid to take it, don't let them take it. Right? Just don't let them take it. That, that solves the problem. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, I have to say that uh, you make very important points and, and ones that do fit in with the notion, too, of parental rights. The idea that parents can have a say in, no, I don't want you to take this class. You're not going to take this class and being aware of the indoctrination piece. But one thing that concerns me, just a final point, and then we run to the break and we'll shift gears on topics, um, is is the fact that they are trying to hide the framework of this course and yet are expecting states to just accept it and accept their word as the college board oh this is a course that should be allowed oh this is a course that we you should be be accepting and, and moving forward with but we're going to hide the contents from you i mean i all agree that they should be more forthcoming i don't think that changes any of my argument at all <laughs> No, yes, of course, of course it wouldn't change your fundamental argument, but I do wonder why they wouldn't allow that. Do you have any idea? Well, why my understanding, and I did a little reading on this to prepare, um, and this is not the most compelling argument in their favor, is that they're revising the curriculum as we speak, and that they're, when they have the new revised curriculum, they'll be prepared to present it and defend it. So that's their answer. All right. Allowing students the chance to opt in to a college-level course like this and letting parents, of course, have the say into whether or not they accept their students uh, is a pretty compelling argument, is it not? 
Text into the show with your thoughts, 303-696-1971, our telephone number. We're going to take a break. On the other side, here's another aspect to education that is utterly fascinating to me, and that is the rise of artificial intelligence and the prospects for, say, essays or papers being written by a machine and turned in as a student's work. How are we to look at that? We'll talk about it with Associate Professor of Communications, our guest, Dr. Rob Margison of Regis University. Keep it right here. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs, News Talk 710 KNUS Denver's local talk leader. Every time, rocking and rolling back, every time I have my friend, the self-described radical leftist, Dr. Rob Margison on, I always have to go to a government mule bumper. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs because it is music and particularly Mule that enabled a radical leftist like the associate professor of communications at Regis, Rob, and I to become good friends. Way going back to when I was at Regis University as a student, I would have him and debate team members. He's the forensics coach, the debate director at Regis on my radio show at the time. Uh, And Rob, isn't it just great that music can bring a conservative like me with a self-described radical leftist like you together? Yes, music is is the the tie that binds. (laughs) Yeah. Of our our difference. Something (laughs) about love. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, John Popper of Blues Traveler is a harmonica on that tune. It's my favorite mule tune. Mule. <laughs> it is a little ironic to play that song right after a discussion of critical race theory. That, that is, you now catch why I even selected this tune, actually, <laughs> is because of the discussion about 40 acres and a mule. And after yeah. we had just discussed CRT and so forth in high schools. By the way, just a quick note uh, Alexa. Texting in um, and kind enough with a little bit of traffic news. A northbound I-25 from C-470 to 225 is a complete parking lot. There's at least six emergency vehicles on northbound I-25 at 225. Just want to let folks know if you are have not left your destination, you might want to keep that in mind as you are traveling about today in the rush hour thanks alexa we always appreciate when listeners text in on the 710k and us app or call us and give a tip as to what's happening on the roads Uh, all right we've got our radical leftist professor but i want to take off your political lens or your sociological or whatever lens we were working at in the last segment and instead let's talk about artificial intelligence look i was watching a Star Wars YouTuber, because that's the kind of nerd that I am. <laughs> and he was literally asking what if scenarios to this open AI software program that Microsoft is now pouring billions of dollars into of investment capital called Chat GPT. And the scenarios and often the dialogue was just mind blowing. What if this happened? What if that happened? And so then I started testing it out myself. And it's 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 crazy. The scenarios, the explanations, all sorts of things. You can have dialogue where Ronald Reagan and Abraham Lincoln are having a conversation and it's pulling from history and what they know about them. And 
so many different things. And, and I wanted to talk with you about the applications of this that could happen in academia, whether through college at the level that you are at Regis University or K through 12, because I really think that it's going to get harder and harder to discern between essays that were written by human beings and essays written by AI. And that's just one example in terms of essays. Top line, what are we seeing now and what are your concerns? Well, I, I, I want to draw people's attention to an, an article I read recently that said that uh, Chat GPT was able to pass the MBA yes. final exam at Wharton, <laughs> which is that's true. That's a little you got you got to be. <laughs> so that's you know that's how rapidly this this stuff is developing. Um, you know, I, I do my research, and so you know when I first heard about this, you know, and, and I'm I'm on Reddit. There's a lot of professor forums there where we discuss issues like this. And it's kind of a mix uh, from that community. So certain faculty members feel like, you know, we're doomed. This is the end of the world. This is the end of higher education as we know it. Our students are just going to pump chat GPT papers at us, and we can't do anything about it. Um, then there's others who are like, you know, kind of you know, hit the brakes. It's 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 not as bad as, as the folks would have you believe. There, there are ways to detect um, some of these GPT written uh, essays. There are teaching strategies and classwork strategies, and I'd be glad to talk about some of those because I'm already thinking about them. Um, there are ways that we can work around this technology so that it doesn't take over and um, allow students to effectively cheat because it's cheating. <laughs> so I'm on the fence on it. Like I want to be afraid of it, but I also want to kind of say, let's let's see where this is in a year and, uh, and then make maybe make some decisions about but it, it, you know, there are people who are like uh, getting papers from students already that they can tell were written by ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. um, certain indicators, certain ways it writes, certain students who are inarticulate in the classroom turning in, you know, graduate level papers to undergraduate courses. Um, so there's ways, um, but I'm not terrified yet, honestly. Like some of my colleagues are. Yeah. Uh, why is that? Because at at this point. It is easy to catch it and to tell whether it's, um, you know, electronically created and not the student's own work or, or what? What what makes you less concerned than colleagues of yours? Um, well, A, I mean, yeah, we can catch it now, but the, obviously the technology is going to improve. It's, it's This is not the end result, right? Um, but I, what I think doesn't scare me is that um, – there are other ways to measure student uh, learning outcomes. And if this means, this, you know, like in all of my classes, they're pretty paper driven. I don't give tests. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of testing. I think writing is a better way to, to kind of evaluate student learning. Um, but maybe I have to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have to cut back on, you know, papers and I'm going to have to start doing quizzes and tests yeah. in class. And hand you know, I mean, I can adapt around this if I have to. Um, right. And so I think a lot of, Faculty, you're going to have to start to think about how can I teach my classes and evaluate student learning um, to get around some of this. And not everyone can do that. Some classes you have to write papers for. Um, but right. I, I just think it's a case now of faculty is going to have to learn to navigate the existence of this. And, and hopefully as this technology continues to you know um, grow, the, you know, the technology that would be used to identify um, papers written by this software will also grow. So, yeah. Um, 
You know, I mean, I'm, I'm being hopeful. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a techie guy. So when I was at Regis, one of the things that I loved about it was the emphasis on writing. I mean, it really played to my strengths. It's one of the reasons I did so well at Regis. I studied politics, minor in economics, and even the economics courses that I were take, was taking involved a lot more essay writing and so forth. Now, in the form of, of tests oftentimes, but still written exams. Again, we're talking with Professor Rob Margeson, Associate Professor of Communication at Regis University. And Rob, I want to read to you a question and an answer I just put to ChatGPT, and in literally 20 seconds, it gave me the answer. Would it be wise for an advanced placement course in critical race theory to be taught in high schools? And the answer ChatGPT came up with in 20 seconds, quote, whether or not it is wise to teach an advanced placement course in critical race theory in high schools depends on a number of factors, such as the school's curriculum, the qualifications of the teacher, and the readiness of the students. Critical race theory is a complex and nuanced field that can be challenging to teach and understand. So it is important to ensure that the teacher is well-versed in the subject matter and that the students are prepared to engage with the material. Additionally, it is important to consider the potential controversy that may arise from teaching critical race theory, as some people may disagree with its principles or find it offensive. Ultimately, the decision to teach an advanced placement course in critical race theory in high schools should be made based on careful consideration of all relevant factors. That was artificial intelligence in 20 seconds. Your reaction and how, what signals might that paragraph give to you that it is AI and not the student's own work or my own work? Well, I, I think what I have to take into consideration if I got something like that is who is submitting it. Because that, that, that's a thoughtful and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say super well-written, but well-written response, or well-written enough. Um, you know, I, I Thoughtful artificial intelligence. Let me just be clear on uh, what you're saying. Yeah. Thoughtful yeah. from artificial yeah. intelligence. Yeah. You know, I mean, so I would have to, you know— Look at a, a paper like something that was written like that. Look at the student that has written it, their track record in the class, their other work. And, um, you know, and if you're a really good student, I'm sure you were a really good student, Jimmy. I didn't have you in classes. Um, I would expect that you can be able back then to pump something out like that pretty easily. Um, and if you handed me something like that, I probably wouldn't bat an eye. I'd be a good student, you know, um, participates in class. His other work has been, uh, you know, stellar. Um if a student who, you know, is, is constantly missing my classes, is, is you know, the, the, their other work is subpar, hands me that, that's the red flag to me is you didn't write this because you can't write at this level or you can't, you're not thoughtful at this level. So, I mean, I think you have to take into consideration the context when you get this sort of work. Who, who is submitting it and is this the sort of work that they're capable of producing? Because um, I was looking at that, what, what you just read to me, not looking but hearing, um, there's nothing there that I would say, oh, a student couldn't have written that. Um, so it just comes down to who wrote it, <laughs> who, who turns it in. Right. You know, that's what the in terms of investigating cheating. And that's not just for ChatGPT. That's for every act of cheating. Right? Well, and so here's a question for you then. What should parents be aware of, especially I mean, you're a college-level professor. When students are off at college, unless they're living at home and even when they're living at home, you're usually not going to have that kind of oversight from a parent. But K through 12 level, say middle or high school, 
What should parents listening be aware of in regards to the potential use by their child of something like mm-hmm. chat GPT in writing essays, et cetera, because fundamentally that's bad for their education because it takes away sure. the critical thinking, et cetera. That's obvious. But how about that awareness piece or what they should watch for, et cetera, because school districts are very slow on this and there aren't many that have banned the use of AI in schools yet. Yeah, I mean, their schools are trying to ban it on campus, but there's not a lot they can do about what, what the, the student does when they're home. I mean, my my very weak and easy answer is raise ethical kids. <laughs> right. so, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about whether or not your child cheats because you raise them right. Um, you know, that's a really, really difficult question. Um, you know, unless the you know parents are willing to be very active participants in their students' work, it's like, okay, you're going to do your homework at the dining room table, uh, you know, where mom and dad are going to be able to look over your shoulder to make sure you're not cheating. Um, which is fine. I mean, when I was growing up, that's how I was raised. I did my homework um, in, you know, a space where my parents were able to watch me. Um, You know, so, you know, if your kid goes into, sneaks into their room and hammers out a term paper or, you know, a project on AI and turns it in, there's not a lot you can do if you don't know they're doing it. So, um, you know, and I know in some of these instances, there's programs that you load on the computers to do this. And so, you know, a parent should, can, you know, evaluate, look at their children's computers to make sure they haven't downloaded mm-hmm. particular apps that do this sort of work. But it's not all app-based. Sure. Well, so again, we're talking a few minutes left with our guest, Professor Rob Margison of Regis University. Does AI make Rob Margison obsolete? maybe in five, 10 years. Do you become obsolete? Are you and other professors concerned about what AI might do to the jobs of educators? Oh, that's definitely a concern. Um, You know, am I obsolete? No, I'm at a teaching institution. So uh, my writing is not a big part of my job. So there's always going to be a need for, for people that can manage a classroom and teach students well, which I'd like to think I'm able to do. But uh, there are a lot of younger faculty and other disciplines who you know, are reliant on getting work written and published to uh, to keep their job and possibly, you know, advance through the tenure process. And um, those people are scared because universities might start saying, well, we don't need researchers. We don't need people. You know, we're, we're not going to get any glory out of you writing papers when we can have AI write papers and for us. So, you know, people reliant on being published and being valued as writers um, for their professional um, job security. <laughs> My hands are, are up. Very- yeah, yeah, very nervous. Well, you know, very nervous about- there it is interesting though because there's a an op-ed that was written, or maybe it was a uh, um, column. Either way, it was written in the Wall Street Journal uh, over the weekend, and it was entitled "Can Chat GPT Write This Column." And he was making the case that at least now you you're not ready with the technology, um, and and even then. In the future, there will, it will still get it will get faster, it will get cheaper, more focused and accurate. But he writes, but remember, AI is only as good as the data it's trained on. Garbage in, garbage out. I asked it, write 800 words in the voice of Andy Kessler, that's the columnist, on whether chat GPT scales. It was as bad as a New York Times guest essay. Again, he's writing for the journal. Generative AI could be stuck at high school freshman level for a while, but hey, if it wins a Supreme Court case... That may be good enough. There's somebody that has offered a prize for the first um, uh, person that argues a case in front of the Supreme Court and says exactly what the AI tells it to say. 
Um, but what do you what do you think? I mean, I, is that can the machine really and fully replace the writing and research of a human being? I mean, I I think it's possible because if you know if there is a market for that, the people are going to jump in and fill that market. People are going to say, okay, that you know, because you know people are going to make money off of this. Um, and so there might be people who say, look, we're going to invest the time and the energy and the capital into creating AI that can write at that level. Uh, it will be worth it to us. And it might be five years from now. It might be 10 years from now. Maybe it's never. I don't know. Um, but I, I just can't imagine that this is, you know, where it stops. Like, okay, we got it to the, you know, sixth grade writing level. Um, we're done. Moving on. Um, I, I, I think there are innovative people out there who see a market and will try everything in their power to take advantage of that market. And if that means scaling this stuff up to a professorial writing level, then they're going to try. Why wouldn't they try? Um, before we let you go, just one final question. Could AI benefit higher education as opposed to just being a potential threat to the way things are and, and what students may do with it? I mean, I think so. And, it, you know, I mean, for basic little things, like the same way, you know, Wikipedia does. And, you know, everyone trashes Wikipedia. But, you know, if it's a place where students can go and, and, and type in some, some different, you know, questions and, and ask for study materials and, um, you know, advance their education by learning a little more about a topic than they're getting in the classroom through AI, I'd be fine with that if a student came to me for one of my classes and, you know, I'm teaching, let's say, Habermas and ethics, and they say, hey, you know, I was really interested in that, this Habermas stuff, and so I, I did a little research on my own. I went to chat and um, asked it a few more questions to tell me more about Habermas, and I got it, and, and I learned more than you were able to teach me given the time you had with me. So I think it's a fine resource if you want to do a little research and gather some information to expand your understanding of particular topics. I would, I would do it. I mean – I probably could have gotten on there before I got on the show with you and had a question then. And, and Debate prep. <laughs> yeah, there there you go. Debate prep with that. And Habermas, isn't that the, the, the one conservative ethicist you mentioned to me off, off air that you might teach in class? Yeah, yeah I'd say he's pretty conservative, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our radical leftist friend, great professor at Regis University, associate professor of communications and director of debate at Regis, Dr. Rob Margeson joining us. My friend, always a treat. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been fun. I'm always honored when you ask, and so keep asking. I will. That's for darn sure, my friend. All right, you take care, and thanks so much. What an interesting discussion about AI. What do you think? Where is artificial intelligence headed? What do you make of Rob's argument from earlier that, look, students should be able to opt into an AP African-American studies class if they choose and their parents could theoretically be able to uh, could theoretically say, no, we don't want you to do this, giving that kind of choice? Or are you concerned that parents won't have that awareness and maybe that shouldn't be presented as an option to students? Or that it's too much of a concern with CRT in schools and so forth. What are your thoughts? 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. You can text into the show on the 710K and US app or shoot me an email. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. Keep it right here. Denver's local talk leader, News Talk, 710K and US. Coming up on 5 to 6, 
That is five minutes to 6 p.m. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. For Stefan Tubbs, I'll now be in for Stefan tomorrow as well from 4 to 7, so be sure to tune in. Then who knows what we'll have tomorrow on the show. I don't even know what we'll do tomorrow on the show, but of course Stefan's still on the mend after his hand surgery earlier this week. Just a reminder, thanks to Alexa texting in, Northbound I-25 from C-470 to 225 is a complete parking lot. There's at least six emergency vehicles on northbound I-25 at 225. That is as of about half an hour ago. What an interesting discussion with Dr. Rob Margeson, associate professor at Regis University, especially about the artificial intelligence. I'm telling you to watch out if you're a parent for the use of chat gpt which you can access it's on a website that's chat.openai.com or just openai.com is where i think you could sign up if you want to experiment with it but know that like for example if you see that in your computer history or your child's computer history that means they've been using ai and uh, just be aware of that we are entering into a brave new world i was seeing ads on Facebook for AI that is companions or AI that, like, basically you could have an AI girlfriend or boyfriend. You have opportunities for um, AI that will help manage your schedule, AI that will do just all sorts of different things. And it is crazy the kinds of writings that can be conjured up by chat GPT or any of these other AI tools. I was asking all sorts of scenarios and it's mind blowing. You can bring in, ask it to create a scenario, including dialogue where you mesh in characters from different genres of movies, different series of movies and TV shows, and it will provide it for you. And then you can ask a follow-up question. It will continue the story. And that's just on fiction. Definitely something to be on the lookout for. That's for darn sure. It's a brave new world that we're going into. Got a text we'll respond to on the other side and more. Open lines, full hour, 303-696-1971. Text in on the 710 KNUS app. Jimmy in for Stefan. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 